You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Daigle. Uh, this week, I have a really interesting chat with Robbie and Corinne from Planet Argon. Uh, if you've been in the Rails community for a while, I'm sure you've heard that name. Uh, they've been doing Ruby on Rails for such a long time. Uh, they did Rails hosting back in the day. Uh, now they work on Ruby on Rails applications for uh, their clients, and they do a survey uh, every few years. It used to be the Rails hosting survey that I remember back in the day, uh, and now it's a bit more of a community survey. And today we are chatting about the results of that survey and what we find interesting, uh, what's been uh, a little bit surprising, what's maybe not so surprising, and the impact people have had on the Ruby on Rails community. Uh, you can check it out at rails-hosting.com. So we talk about it a fair bit. Um, if you're at home and not in a car, you can follow along. Otherwise, you can look it up after. Uh, it's pretty cool and definitely worth a look. Uh, and you can also go check out uh, Planet Argon at planetargon.com. Um, they're hiring. Uh, they're a really cool uh, group of people. Uh, and I'm so happy that Robbie and Corinne were able to join me today. So enough of this intro. Let's get on to the show. All right, Robbie and Corinne, I'm so excited to have you on. Robbie, I know we had tried to do this last year, <laughs> but it didn't uh, it didn't pan out, but we're here this year in 2018. Um, I'd love for the two of you to introduce yourselves to the audience, uh, what you do, where you work, and uh, why you're here. I'll go and let you start, Corinne. Okay, uh, so my name is Corinne, and um, I'm a full-stack developer. I started out in uh, front-end, but now I'm doing everything. Um, I'm working at uh, Planet Argon, which is a uh, Ruby on Rails shop. And that's kind of why I'm here. We have our Rails survey that goes out every couple of years. And I was, um, uh, I got to be a part of that project to get it out. So awesome. My name is Robbie and uh, used to be known in the Ruby on Rails community as Robbie on Rails and been a member of that <laughs> community for a for a few years now and uh, also started Planet Argon a few years before I got introduced to Ruby on Rails and have been kind of running an agency since 2005 and kind of like the company since 2002 for the first few years was kind of a freelance era and then with Rails the project kind of took off beyond just me and a designer to running kind of a small agency out in Portland, Oregon. And Robbie, is, is Planet Argon still prim primarily a Rails shop or what, what is it up to today? I would say, yeah, I would say probably about 70, 80% of the work that we're doing involves Ruby on Rails. Otherwise, some other projects we're working on is kind of a little bit more on the front end. Like we're doing some React mm -hmm. and we've done some Ember projects, um, but kind of focusing still a little bit, we're kind of sinking more and more into the Ruby on Rails world in terms of our focus. I think as we've started to explore new technology, what we've just, what we've kind of really determined is that our kind of core niche is actually taking over existing projects rather than starting new projects oh, for startups. And so most of the work that we are focused on is kind of inheriting, you know, apps that were started four to 10 years ago and helping, you know, get them updated at, get them on a better life cycle in terms of managing the ongoing support and maintenance of the project, iterating on the things on their project and kind of being a long-term partner. So rather than working with startups, which I can go into a long spiel about how that's been a very <laughs> conflicting business over the years for us. And so that, that's been kind of what we've been focusing on. So if you have rails, that's awesome. That I are, didn't realize, I didn't realize that it was, uh, you know, a, a big part of it was taking existing apps. I find, I feel like that's so interesting in comparison to the, I have a bucket, a bucket of cash and an idea. Can you build my thing for me? 
Yeah, it's it's the, the the interesting thing about that is we we enjoyed some of those projects early on in the Rails, you know, when we were earlier on in the Rails community, and then when you look back a couple years later at your portfolio, you kind of look at a you know something kind of similar to a graveyard in terms of projects that <laughs> went out of business, and those projects tend to have a little bit more kind of they they can be really super exciting. But then you're also dealing with like maybe first time entrepreneurs and they're spending a lot of their personal investments and, you know, stock options, whatever they're doing to help fund that project. And they, it's just a really interesting, complicated process. And when we went and looked over the numbers, we weren't seeing a lot of like ongoing referrals from that kind of business. We weren't seeing a lot of profit margins on that like the type of profit margins that we thought we were able to get when once we had more of a stable um, consistent client base. So now when we're taking over existing, you know, Rails applications for clients where, you know, we're looking at this a couple of years down the road and thinking, you know, if we don't see a project having a life cycle with us two to three years from now, we're not really interested in it because we only want to mm-hmm. add a few new clients to our roster every year versus like having to sell huge, big projects every year and kind of get in and get out type of scenarios mm-hmm. and then hoping that that project kind of works out. And so when you spend a lot of time building those relationships with clients and then they kind of go away to go try to sell their project or their startup, you know, and get their product, you know, in the marketplace. And if they're not able to do that, then it's just kind of discouraging to see your code and time that energy that went into that kind of go nowhere to some extent. And it's a good learning experience, but um, and admittedly, we actually saw our turnover was higher during that era versus when I think for the last several, probably six, seven years, our turnover rates much lower because I think some of that is actually because people are getting to build longer relationships with their clients and mm-hmm. iterating on those projects and making you know making them better than they were yesterday. That's awesome. Um, a quick plug: Are you hiring? <laughs> we are actually, um, and we're starting to explore the idea of bringing in uh, remote developers too. So that's awesome. that's something new for us. But otherwise, historically, we've all been on site here in Portland because I like to pretend that the people here are my friends, and I need to have <laughs> that. So. <laughs> I love it. Um, awesome, uh, cool. So the reason I, I wanted to have you both here is to talk about uh, the Ruby on Rails developer survey. So can yes. you tell me a little bit about this and how long you've been doing it, and then we can dive into the results this year. Sure. So you may or may not remember, but early on in the Rails community, part of our business was offering was actually uh, Ruby on Rails like server hosting. So we managed, you know, bare metal servers at a co-location here in Portland. And we had, I think, close to about a thousand different customers running their Rails applications on their on our servers. And so f- and that was just like us taking, you know, doing shared hosting for Rails projects or kind of um, VMs. And I think we were using Zen back there and things like that. And going into 2008, 2009, as the uh, the community was, you know, the, the overall development community, we we're seeing, you know, Amazon, AWS was coming in, kind of coming up and Heroku had been out for maybe a year or so. And so the competition was, there was better option, I think, for than what we were able to offer and to to our customers. And we're, and admittedly, deep down, we didn't love having to deal with server management and that deep level of sysadmin. And um, before, I don't think we were using the word DevOps back then, but you know, just dealing with things like a server going down on Thanksgiving and then having to drive two hours from Seattle to Portland to go fix a server. It wasn't exactly the most exciting part of our business, but it was kind of paying for itself. And it was like, we thought it was Mm -hmm. a good way to grow some, these market reach in the, in the community. And so we decided in 2009, why don't we ask folks what they're doing and seeing if we can see, is, is our hunch that we're kind of, we're not keeping up with the technology stacks and we don't really have a huge desire to, to try to jump into that space. 
where you know where, where are things looking at right now and so we we decided to put up a survey in 2009 around this time of the year and just you know it was more focused on hosting related hosting your rails applications they got a little bit into some of the tools you're using as well but as far as like as a developer and so we put that out there we had i don't know about a thousand people or so respond to it and it was clear we were kind of you know we were behind the times and then three months later we sold that part of the business off uh, to another company called blue box and then we kind of got out of that business and that was probably a good decision for us at the time so that was how it originally started and the idea being let's do this and share the information with the community so kind of open sourcing the data outside of anyone's personal information and then we decided that you know every two or three years we would keep doing it just to, and start focusing more on like what developers were using and that's why so we can have some trends over the years so now we've done it i think this was the fifth time we did it so it's kind of maybe fourth or fifth time i can't remember but yeah i think it's <laughs> fifth okay so yeah, that's kind of how that started. And then, so a couple months ago, you know, it's been two years since the last time we did it. I think 5.0 was coming out around the same time that we last did it. And so we thought maybe every every other year would be a good kind of tempo for us to do this. Because every time we wanted to kind of explore different ways of um, how we'd present that data, how what kind of stories could we tell with it, and and see if we can spot any trends over over the years and it's been interesting to kind of kind of keep an eye on that and just kind of keep offering that and then another fun part about that when we do that is we're able to kind of offer i think for a couple several of the times we've done that we've been able to bring in interns to work on the project and so that they can do some data visualization or something and then um, that they have something to put in their portfolio as well so it's kind of a way for us to train people while also sharing with the the wider community yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it looks it looks beautiful this year. I, I went through all the results and gave a read. I'm really curious, uh, Corinne and Robbie, what what do you think is the most surprising thing that came out of this survey when you uh, got this set of results back? The most surprising thing. Um, well, I guess I, I guess how much people don't like Active Record. <laughs> <laughs> um, that you know, I, that was one thing that really stood out to me. Um, also, I guess more than that, how much people really don't like Devise. Um, I always found mm -hmm. that Devise is really um, kind of easy for, to to override and work with for me. So, but I think even more than Active Record, Devise was very polarizing and far as far as like how many people really liked it and how many people really hated it. Like there was large numbers in either, either category. Yeah. Looking at the, looking at the survey again, it looks like our spec is also in that same boat of, uh, of the, you love it or you hate it split. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was also happy to see simple form on the, um, on the hated, uh, <laughs> list cause I, I hate simple form, but it's also on the loved one. So what are you going to do? <laughs> just just for the, the the integrity of the data people responded with frustrating maybe hating but you know I, I, I'll, 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 I'll let you run with that but just uh I, there might be some variation there but uh my mm -hmm. i think my thinking through the thing that i was most surprised by was actually the probably the fact that sidekick of 50 percent of the people yeah. that responded to the question about background processing tools that they're using or like for like which you know i think people would by default talk about delay job or something to see that you know i think it was around 50 percent of the developers mm -hmm. responded said they're using sidekick which is a great project and and it's also one of those great open source stories where we know uh mike is firm that's that you know, kind of behind it is actually making that uh, making a good living off of that uh providing commercial support for that as well so I'm, i think that's just 
great that he's done a good job, I think, uh, building a good tool, but also marketing that and telling a good story. And I think people want to help support him and that kind of all works together, I think. And so I'd, I'd like to see more of that, I think, with some of the other projects that are kind of in the Rails community as well in like terms of these great gems that we're using, whether we love them or are frustrated by them. But I think that was a kind of an awesome little piece there. Yeah, yeah we, that, that question was interesting because that was the first year that I think we asked it. Um, I think it was one that I ended up putting in the last minute and ended up kind of being an interesting story point there. I'd be really Another, curious to see how it goes over time as well. Uh, you know, cause I think, I think it's, I think it's, I was, I was su surprised by maybe surprised is the wrong word, but I, like excited, I guess maybe that like sidekick was so big. No, and like having, you know, spoken with Mike on the podcast before and everything that he's, he's done, but also interested to see how, like how this changes over time as, as rails allows for more sort of separation on jobs and, and other libraries potentially come out or if other, um, maybe like you said, Robbie, maybe not in this space necessarily, but, uh, other, other projects take up the it's open source, but commercially you can pay for support or pay for a better license. I, I'm super intrigued, um, by other success stories there over time as well. So I'd be curious to see how this, uh, how this changes over time. I think it was an awesome uh, question to add, uh, for sure. Another thing was that kind of more of a self-reflection on ourselves. So we've you know, we've jumped around CI server tools over the years, and I don't remember how long ago we switched over to one called TDM, which I think got rebranded as Solano. Mm -hmm. So I've, we found through this process that the we we also use uh, Bitbucket pipelines for some, but we we found that we're part of the one percent of people that actually use Solano, and it kind of made me realize that we've been kind of sitting on that one for a long time, and maybe we should probably reevaluate some of the other. Um, continuous integration uh, options out there, but I don't know. What, what are you typically using? Um, so I think the interesting thing here in caveat mTOR, I work for GitHub and right. a lot of these people are integrator partners for us, but um, so we still use Jenkins ultimately under the hood um, with a little bit of a special sauce on top of it. But I, I think the thing that is interesting to me or the thing that immediately stuck out was the 15% or maybe slightly less 13% or something of none, you know? Uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of projects that maybe are, are small enough or fast enough that they, you know, CI isn't horribly valuable, but given the sort of respondents and the number of years that they're working in, in Rails and Ruby and um, the agency side or product shop side, just to say none, it, it, it always, uh, and we see this at, at the, uh, GitHub integration level too, just the, the number of people that aren't using any CI, you know, whether it's uh, like to DM or uh, circle CI, which looks like it has the heart, uh, the largest uh, percentage of usage um, uh, that always just somehow uh, surprises me a little bit, I guess. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's interesting. I think it was probably a lot of those. I didn't go dive into that question too deep into kind of um, pivot that a little bit on how, you know, how large of a team they're working on. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how much of that might be like freelancers or, you know, I also hear from a lot of, it's like, you know, I think when we talk about like test coverage as a thing, like there's a lot of people mm -hmm. that aren't even writing tests still. And so I don't remember what the exact number was for that off the top of my head, but okay. Actually I have it here. 40%, let's see, 45, 54% of developers indicated they have at least 80% test coverage. That's good. Um, but yeah, there's still, I don't have the numbers. In I also, head, I also saw that one and thought to myself, I wonder how honest people are <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when reporting these things. I'd be curious, but, like what percentage of them have a test coverage that runs when someone else, you know, clones the projects and, and tries to run it. Mm -hmm. So that's not, 
you know, part of what we do is taking over projects all the time. And it's kind of this rare thing where we actually see a test suite actually pass the first time we try to run it. So there's, it's, you know, more often than not, we end up seeing scenarios where the test or the spec directory hasn't even been like touched in like over a year. And you're like, well, you've still been making code changes. So it <laughs> tends to be scenarios where there's like maybe one, maybe two developers that have been working on it. And then at some point they're just like, well, I'm just making these small little updates and I don't have time for that or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into a big spiel about pros and cons of testing, but uh, I, yeah, I, I think I was curious how honest people were there too, but I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So <laughs> Um, going through a lot of these, uh, a lot of these items as well. Um, I was interested to see like RuboCop, uh, having such a big, uh, you know, percentage of usage in the code quality yeah. section. Yeah, I'm that's curious awesome. if you have any thoughts on that, uh, Corinne. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it's something that a few years ago we started being pretty strict about, like our developers here, um, using RuboCop for, you know, most of their changes. And for me specifically, it totally changed, you know, my, my life as far as my code quality and giving me suggestions on things that I'm supposed to do. So I'm super happy to see that people have found that tool and are, are um, finding it useful as well. Um, it's, it's hugely, I mean, at least in the, in the survey here, I mean, it's hugely popular, uh, you know, and, and it's not horribly surprising to me that it's more popular than say code climate, which is a paid, paid offering, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, but still, uh, I, I, I don't know, for some reason I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, I guess, but maybe, maybe I shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. I think as a, a in, in a day to day Rubicop makes my life so much easier, <laughs> yeah. you know, just being able to, it's kind of like having somebody who can, you, you can kind of ask their permission, but it's not a real person that has like, mm-hmm. you know, a real opinion. So you, you can kind of take what it's going to, um, and they'd keep, keep to uh, the code integ- integrity of what the community is doing. And so I think it's also awesome to see that if that's so popular, then we can start to rely on that as, you know, you're, you're starting to get inherit code from other developers and, and say, okay, well, that's not how RuboCop would want you to do that. And so, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah. I that's think, a, that's a really good point. I, I completely agree. I think one thing uh, about that, you know, the, just looking at the data a little bit more, I think one thing just to clarify with that also with like almost 50%, I was like 50% of the people that said they're using quote code quality tools. So I think mm-hmm. one of the things we have some, we had a retrospective on this project the other day and like thinking about how we phrase things and how we collected uh, none or like, like no, there's a lot of people that skip mm-hmm. the question and stuff. And so, so I think what we realized is needing it a little bit better with how we ask some of these questions and present the data. So I think, cause part of that is about 23% of people said basically we we're inferring that they didn't, they, they're not doing anything. So almost one out of four. And then of those three out of four that are doing it, 50% almost are using RuboCop. So the, mm-hmm. You know, I get into that little how you ask questions and how you um, kind of handle scenarios where people skip a question as well. But anyway, I don't want to go into all the the fun intricacies of data collection, but uh, the stuff, you know, it does matter a little bit. So, but I'm glad to see RuboCop is used so much. And we, the team, yeah, we were all using it. And as Corinne's attested to, it's been a great tool for us here. 
I, I had a similar, so even, even if, even if we ignore the none responses in that and just look at it, like the consolidation on RuboCop was just very impressive. And the reason I bring that up was I was looking at the application exception tracking graph, which oh. I found just utterly interesting to me <laughs> that at first I was like, oh God, like no one is using <laughs> exception tracking. But then I smartened up and I realized that it's just that the distribution of tools that people are using is a lot wider than in the early days when there were a few big players or a single open source project project yeah. um i'm curious what you what you and your team thought uh when this graph came in yeah i was actually really surprised about new relic i kind of like had to do a double take and i'm like wait did we misphrase this question or something because mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. new relic's been around for for a long time and i think if you go into you know performance tracking like no one's you know they've been dominating that space for a long time and and just thinking like we we've never really taken it like you know, it, it bring, you know, it does track exceptions and things like that, but it has not been like a, we've not found that to be a great tool in the past for us for that type of thing. Uh, Cause I think soon you get in there and you're like kind of lost in the performance land. And then I, you know, I have some con- complaints about some of the UI decisions there, but to see like this trend of like this arc of seeing how, you know, obviously I'm, you, you know, we've been around for a while and, you know, remember exception notification and you get like an email mm-hmm. for every error you get. And then, you know, we had, what was uh, air break and hop toad, which became air break. And I think originally when we were looking at this, this chart and this data thing and looking, I'm glad that we have all this data since 2009 yeah. to see it's gone from like majority down to like, almost obscurity it's kind of you know it's like well i feel feel for them a little bit but then uh yeah to see new relic and there's kind of this ongoing competition here back and forth a few times over the years and how roll bars kind of had kind of was it was kind of taking a big jump over the thing the previous time we did the survey and then it's still kind of in there but new relic to must be doing a lot you know, better with their marketing and showing people that they can use that aspect of their tool, considering it's not the cheapest tool to be using for that as well. Yeah. So that, that part was kind of a surprise too. It's just like, I know a lot of people can't afford new relic for all their servers and stuff, but the, to see that being used like that, I was kind of surprised. And, um, yeah, I think that that's, I'm glad to know that people are using good tools. We, you know, we were using, um, all of a sudden like there's we're using bug snag ourselves and that's not you know one of the top five you hear so but we we do we do like it so but yeah here's what the data says yeah as long as it's not exception notifier (laughs) i think i'm i think i'm game at this point um or or dropping it into github issues uh, (laughs) uh which is the which is the other side that we get to experience which is kind of funny This week's episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Rollbar. So we all deal with errors, errors in our applications, errors in our mobile applications, errors in our lives. Last one, Rollbar can't help you with, but the first two, it's going to be pretty good. Instead of relying on users to report your errors or digging through log files or tailing logs as things happen, with Rollbar's error monitoring, you get the full stack trace, context, and the user data to help you find and fix impactful errors fast. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow, you can send alerts to Slack or HipChat, or you can automatically create new issues in Jira, Pivotal Tracker, or Trello. You can add the Rollbar Ruby SDK as easy as gem install Rollbar, start tracking application errors in minutes. There's a ton of cool features in uh, Rollbar's Ruby gem. The one that I'm most interested in is deep linking into your GitHub repo. So if you've ever seen an error with a traceback and you uh, trying to figure out what exactly is going on, you can just link into your GitHub repo. So you can click on the stack trace and go, 
go to exactly where you're going. Um, if you use any Rack framework, you automatically get parameters, headers, session data, cookies, things like that. It supports Q frameworks out of the box, so Sidekick, Rescue, and Delayed Job. And you can also configure Rollbar's front-end JavaScript SDK without having to install it manually. We have a special offer for listeners. If you go to rollbar.com slash Ruby, you can sign up and get the bootstrap plan for free. Rollbar is loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. So go to rollbar.com slash Ruby, sign up and get the bootstrap plan for free. Thanks so much to Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast. And now back to the show. Another another thing that I thought was worth talking about, which to be honest, I don't have a ton of experience in, so I'd love for for one uh, one or both of you to dive in. But uh, Puma being quite popular, uh, we're at GitHub, we're on that unicorn train still, um, and so I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are in the community. Quite obviously, moving to adopt that a lot more compared to unicorn or passenger. Yeah, that's a uh, I'm trying to remember. You know, I've, when we started using it a bit more, it was probably. It's interesting because, like, yeah, I'm thinking like how passenger kind of has you know fallen to the side a little bit, yeah. but yeah, I think we we had a brief stint I think with Unicorn probably uh, say three to four years ago or so, and then you know I think we everything that we've been deploying has been using Puma for you know two or three years now, so I don't I guess I wasn't totally surprised by it, but I didn't I just thought there might be a little bit closer. Um, I didn't realize it had taken such a big jump here, but mm-hmm. um, I think. Uh, you know, I know that they, I, I haven't like done a lot of measuring of how much faster it is in, in to, to that level. Um, cause some of the projects that we're maintaining are still like in the 4.2 land and such. And mm-hmm. you know, I think there's some of that being, you know, how much are we going to get out of Puma itself versus, you know, getting rails upgraded there or you know, versions of Ruby and stuff. But, um, I don't have to commend the, 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 the team behind that project as well. So, um, and yeah, I don't have a too much to say there outside of that, but, um, yeah, it, it's something I think it, it, I found it to be interesting when, uh, you know, Rails or when the community picks up something new that works particularly well. And then you can kind of see like an uptick of that, uh, of that, uh, you know, that change, that adoption, like when something goes into vogue uh, or is particularly faster or Rails makes it a little bit easier to use to like see the impact on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, again, I wouldn't have guessed this, but maybe I'm just locked in a closet. But uh, going to the databases question of what database do you prefer to use in production? <laughs> the answer is Postgres, period, end of story. Yeah, that one, that was really exciting. I think probably, you know, four or five years ago when we started, we started asking two questions. One, what are you using in production and which would you Mm -hmm. prefer? And, you know, that was kind of a loaded question for me early on because I was, you know, I've been, since I, before I started doing, working with Rails, Postgres has been kind of my database of choice and for Mm -hmm. a number of reasons. And the, I think early on, most people were using MySQL in the community. And I think some of that was because, you know, just it, it was perceived as being a lot faster and because it, it was faster and the, you know, DHH was, a you know, that's what he, you know, they're still using that at Basecamp and, and touting mm-hmm. that. And, I, you know, and there was, there's licensing differences between the, between MySQL and Postgres. But I think the, the story of MySQL has been interesting over the years, you know, cause they were later bought by Oracle or the, the license was bought by Oracle. And then mm-hmm. I think people weren't sure how that would kind of pan out. And so that's maybe not the greatest open source arc for a project, but to, you know, to get picked up by something like Oracle mm-hmm. and kind of wonder if that's going to be around. But I think the real 
key you know change there was actually the fact that Heroku and AWS came out around the same time and what do you use when you use with Heroku? You use Postgres. And so right. I think by Heroku offering free hosting to start your projects with, and you're like, well, I'm going to build my project on Postgres so that it works on Heroku, even though for the most part, Rails can be pretty agnostic about that. But so I think that's had a lot more to do. And, and I think fundamentally that came down to licensing and mm -hmm. on the under behind the scenes in terms of Postgres, their license being more in the BSD MIT level side of things versus MySQL being GPL. And I think them bundling things in there is a little bit, you know, gets a little bit more complicated with how they, you know, how their product stack set, is set up. And then you, know, you just see Postgres just kind of dominate. And that's exciting to me. Um, and I don't like dislike or hate uh, MySQL necessarily. <laughs> we still have a few projects that are using it, but the, but, you know, Postgres has kind of been the, I'm, 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 I'm happy for that project to have, have, you know, kind of taken over that space at such a large level. And I remember thinking um, when I started working on a, a Ruby on Rails book back in 2005 and I was with O'Reilly and my editor was trying to, you know, I was like, I'm going to do everything, all the code samples with Postgres, because at this point in the Ruby on Rails community and, the, and, and we didn't have like database migration. So you had to write all the SQL scripts by hand. And so I was doing all these create table statements for Postgres and, and they wanted me to do it in Postgres and MySQL. And I was like, no, no, it's okay. We can just do Postgres. They'll figure it out. And then, but no, you know, anyways, I just think at, at one point they're like, they were afraid of doing anything to focus on Postgres because my, how mm -hmm. dominant MySQL was back then. Yeah, I, 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 I'm the sort of opposite of you, it sounds like, where I started in MySQL and never really left, you know, like it's just always just been there, but I've used Postgres because of Heroku. So it's interesting that that company has, it's like, you know, Heroku has had such a large impact on sort of where people have gone, uh, you know, with, with their technology choices in order potentially to, we, are, we can hypothesize that right. that's why a big part of it, at least. It's my theory. I don't have anything to back that up, but they're, they're... yeah. Um, so we're, uh, we're almost out of time. So wrapping up, uh, uh, Corinne and Robbie, I'm curious if there's anything else that we didn't really touch on that you thought was interesting or what, what you all learned or sort of what you took away from doing this survey this year. Um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to touch for a second on the, the Webpack stuff. Cause that was really exciting mm. to see that so many people are using Webpack in their Rails projects. Um, I think a lot of times, um, we'll inherit older projects and, I think people can be weighed down by the asset pipeline if they're trying to integrate with um, some of the newer JavaScript stuff. So it's kind of cool to see that people are choosing to um, integrate with Webpack when they're building new um, building new apps. That's awesome. Yeah, and the other thing, I one of the things we were trying to uh, at least try to find some way to, to feel this out in terms of, you know, there's a lot of, you know, like, now that the you know the javascript framework kind of explosions happen and there's a lot of different frameworks and tools that developers and other languages that people are now you know moving over to or using for projects and you know there's been this kind of like little echoing in the community of israel's dying it was a kind of a question <laughs> we we're curious if we could figure out some way to kind of speak to that somehow and i know that you know when you ask a 
you know, pull a community of people. We can, you know, we're going to just ask is rails dying and like, but everybody that responded to it's most likely using rails. So that's kind of, I think you're not going to get the kind of like any real assessment there. And so one of the things that we were able to kind of look at a little bit more in depth was how long people have been working with rails. And so we, we looked over, you know, we, and, and thinking back to, and so we were like thinking about like, how long have you been working with rails as being kind of a general question. And so, of the people that responded to that, about 50% said they've been working with Rails for over seven years. So that's, so people have been sticking around in the Rails community for, for a while. So there's a lot of maturity, I think, in the, in, the, in the framework. So maybe it's still not attracting new people. And so when you look under, let's say, people that have been using Rails for less than a year, it's about 3%. And, and if we go back to 2016, that was 4%. 2014, that was 6%. In 2012, that was 11%. 2019 or 2009, that was 13%. I know the further you go back, the less you're going to have, you know, people been around because it was a newer project, but that number has been going down the past, you know, three or four surveys. And so that was a little bit of a, a concern, like maybe Rails isn't, uh, isn't as accessible or isn't inviting, you know, new people into the community and some has some because there's a lot maybe there's a lot more options out there i think we can all you know, probably have a whole another podcast on that topic but yeah. I, th- I do think there's something there about thinking about if if rails is going to continue to be a um long-term um just kind of survive all of this kind of change that's happening and i um, and if you know if we can continue con- working in this space, I think we're going to need to find ways as a community to continue improving how we're inviting in and showing the benefits of using Ruby on Rails to you know up and coming developers or developers that have been using other platforms for a while and be like, why am I going to make that switch? Um, and in the same ways, and you know we're kind of struggling like, oh, if we could look at Elixir and these other tools, but like, well, there's not a lot of projects that have been around for a while that kind of fit our niche of taking over projects. So let's let them do that for a few years. And then maybe Elixir or these other platforms will be a good tool for us to kind of explore further because mm-hmm. we're not trying to be the startup company necessarily. But I'm, I don't know, there's something in there that I think like maybe the community needs to reflect on a little bit. And, and another question we did ask was kind of how favorable the uh, people thought of the, uh, like as far as like the Rails core team is taking things and moving things in the right direction. And uh, 75% of the people responded said that they thought Rails core is, is shepherding the project in the right direction. So I thought that was a good, good positive thing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I think that'd be really worth uh, chatting about more. We we've had a bunch of people on from uh, like boot camps and stuff like that, and I you know the technology choices there. And I'd also be curious too, like how many of these projects or, or people responding um, if their projects are new or, or relatively old. You know, um, like are people creating new applications in Rails or are they primarily evolving, nursing their existing applications? Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, but I think it's, I think it's super positive that folks think the, the people that are in the community seem to, uh, believe that, you know, rails itself and the team are bringing it in the right direction. And, uh, it's great that people seem to be upgrading as well, relatively quickly. Um, cause that hasn't historically, uh, seemingly always yeah. been the case. Yeah, that's true. Um, awesome. We'll, we'll have to have you back soon and talk more, uh, outside of the, uh, survey. If yeah, you, if you want to give it a look, it's uh, rails-hosting.com. Um, what's the best way to read about Planet Argon or if folks want to apply or, or read more about what you do, Robbie and Corinne? Yeah, just hit up planetargon.com and you can find all about us. Awesome. Thanks, Corinne. Thanks, Robbie. Appreciate it so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much.